What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Coach Leah. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into this episode, and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to create a place where women could come together to connect and to inspire, encourage, and support one another. I'm proud to announce that we've created a community where we can do just that. The Locker Room with Coach Leah is a place of preparation where we get you ready for the big game of life. We talk about the real issues we face and empower one another to support our loved ones through PTSD without losing ourselves in the process. You'll find encouraging messages, helpful tools and resources, and have access to upcoming events, group challenges, and masterclasses. You can also let your voice be heard on the podcast after show page where we discuss the episode topic and you can give your opinion, ask a question, share your story or give us future show ideas. We want to hear from you. There is power in community. We have a wealth of knowledge as we share our experiences and use them to build each other up. So after you like and subscribe to the podcast, be sure to click the link in the show notes and join the locker room to be encouraged, be empowered, and be blessed. Peace, y'all. Have you checked out the PTSD Wives Handbook? This book is for the wife whose spouse has survived trauma and is now navigating through mood swings, flashbacks, and mishandled emotions. PTSD can create a toxic home environment and cause a divide in the closest and most meaningful relationships. As a caretaker, the PTSD wife is finding herself at the receiving end of anger, aggression, and constant negativity. This can create a personal, mental, and spiritual health crisis for her. In this book, Coach Leah uncovers the hidden wounds of trauma and the effects that it can have on your relationship. Based on biblical principles, she teaches you the tools and resources that are needed to handle stressful situations and to seek help from the Lord and foster a deeper relationship with Him. By reading this book and putting the principles into action, you're going to learn how to take control of your life and grab hold of the power that lies within. Grab your copy of the PTSD Wives Handbook today by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody, it's Coach Leah. Listen, in this episode, the ladies and I have a very real conversation about the things they experienced while they were on active duty. Part of this discussion may be triggering for some. If you are struggling with the effects of sexual assault or any other trauma for that matter, I want you to know there is help. You are not alone. Find someone to talk to, a professional counselor, a therapist, or even a pastor with experience in this field. There is power in your voice, and together, our voices can bring change. Peace, y'all. We're telling the truth about women and military trauma. Come on in. Let's talk about it. My name is Leah Huggins. I'm a wife, a mother, and a proud U.S. Navy veteran. After two tours to Iraq, my husband was diagnosed with PTSD. My world spiraled out of control as fear, anxiety, doubt, and depression took over. I gave my life to Christ, took on a new mindset, and let go of the negativity of my past. I now help wives to find healing, encouragement, and strategy to overcome the effects of PTSD on their daily lives and in their marriage. So come on in and let's talk about it. Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. This is the place where we empower women to support their spouse through PTSD without losing themselves in the process. I'm your host, Coach Leah, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. All right, you guys, we got a good show for you today. We are talking about women and military trauma. But to start it all off, let me first introduce you to the panel of amazing women that I have here tonight. First up, she hails from Shreveport, Louisiana. She is a mother. She is a wife and a grandmother. And that grandson of hers, y'all, he is one of the sweetest kids you have ever met. <laughs> she is also a U.S. Army veteran, and she has served 23 years in the military before retiring. Please help me welcome to the show, Miss Shonda Reed. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Wave your hand so they know who you are. <laughs> Next up is another amazing woman that hails from Spring Lake, North Carolina, by way of Detroit, Michigan. She served 21 years in the U.S. Army, where she was a cook, she was a military police, and she was an admin clerk. She's a wife of 15 years and a mom and a grandmother, and I cannot wait to hear her story. Everybody give a big shout out to Miss Anne-Marie Faison. Yay! Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> All right, y'all. Now get ready for this powerhouse. I met this woman one day while I was scrolling through the Clubhouse app and I started listening to her show and I got really excited when I found out we lived in the same city. This lady is from Birmingham, Alabama. She's a mom of three children. She served eight years in the U.S. Marines. And now you can find her inspiring and educating women to be their best and their baddest self. OK, y'all welcome to the show, The Military Bride Strategist, Miss Teresa Alexis. Yay! <laughs> Thank you, sis. Welcome. And finally, this woman hails from Montgomery, Alabama. She is a mom of two children, and she served in the U.S. Army National Guard for seven years. She now works for COSA, which is the Council on Substance Abuse, and as well as working with veterans in the field of suicide prevention. She's an author, and she has a book publishing business where she helps authors publish and market their stories. You guys, please help me welcome to the show, Miss Robin Chappelle. Yay! <laughs> so, ladies, I just wanted to thank you all for coming on the show and talking with us today. I mean, to be honest, you know, there's so much to cover. I mean, the topic of women and military trauma, it is such a broad topic um, because there's so many things that we go through as women, period. Right. But if you strap on a uniform on top of that, then it takes it to a whole nother level. You know, I mean, there's inequity in pay. There's discrimination, um, sexual harassment. You know, women of color are facing racism, sexism. I mean, the list goes on. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of this goes on in the military. And on top of that, you're in the military. So, of course, that's going to include hazardous duty. And you end up being in places where, you know, your life can be in danger and you're fighting for your country while doing all of this. Um, I don't think we can ever prepare ourselves enough for, you know, some of the things that we see and that we experience in our service to our country, you know, whether it's overseas or right here at home. Um, but before we get started, I want to say this. Thank you, ladies, for your service. I wanted to give all of you um, a chance to introduce yourselves to the audience and tell them just a little bit about yourself and share your story and tell us a little bit about your time in the military. Let's start with you, Shonda. Okay. 
Thank you. Um, that was a good introduction, Miss. Thank Leah. you, <laughs> Coach Leah. My name is Shonda Reed. Um, I'm 60 years old. I served in the military active duty for 10 and a half years. I did a military technician for 10 and a half years, and I um, switched to become a veteran administrator after my 23 years total military service. I uh, worked for the Veteran Administration as a program support, helping soldiers get adapt from uh, going to uh, reha- uh, rehabilitation classes so they could go and uh, pursue new careers with the disabilities that they could obtain. And after doing that for a few years, I went overseas to work as a contractor at, for the DOD, Department of Defense. And then I came back and started working for the Social Security Administration after I transferred from Kansas to Louisiana. And so my trauma really um, in the military happened when I was uh, deployed with, to Iraq with the Kansas National Guard Aviation Battalion. Aviation battalions live on the airfield, in case people didn't know that. So yeah. my job, even as a logistic clerk, 92 Alpha, dispatching helicopters and all to go out. And we go out with them to pick up our parts. We go out with them. And so one particular day, it was too hot for anybody to work. So I was tasked with staying back, me and three other people. And just dispatching the helicopters where everybody had to clear out the area mm-hmm. of the airfield because it was too hot. And so that particular day, we had a mortar attack, three mortars, attack, one after another. Mm-hmm. And the third one was when we were trying to get uh, to our bunker and our T-walls were not put up properly. So there was no T-walls for us to get behind. So when I was hit, along with two other people, um, uh, believe it or not, when you originally get hit, you don't even feel the pain of the, the shrapnel. Wow. But I could hear the screams of the person who was next door to E4 that I was in charge of. Mm. She was next door to me and the next off was screaming. And I think sometimes as women, because we're mothers, that the first thing we want to do is come to the aid of somebody, no matter what the danger is. Right. And so that was my first instinct just to get to her and try to make sure that she was okay and so on and so forth. But um, and so like and I was telling you, um, uh, Coach, that sometimes people handle trauma differently. Mm-hmm. I thought I didn't have trauma. I didn't have PTSD, that I was fine. And so it took a few years for me to go through some things to realize that trauma comes out in different ways that we don't yeah. even understand. Yeah. And it's just to us as women, we're just trying to handle our business, trying to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah. And so since that rocket attack, I've lost three other people, just two to suicide one to cancer, and there's only one person that was with me in that attack that's still alive. Hmm. And that brings about another trauma that you have to deal with. You being a survivor and you trying to make sure that that other person, you know, you keep in contact with them, that everybody is still okay. And that's that's a, a big burden to carry. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a part of it, that survivor's remorse where um, it, it's you're dealing with feelings of being the one that made it through or being 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 there when the others are not. Um, Miss Teresa, tell me about yourself and your experience in the military. Yeah, I'm sure y'all ready for that. I mean, <laughs> Marine Corps, I'm just saying. <laughs> Come on with it. Come on with it. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. I'm Teresa. Like she said, um, I served eight years in the Marines. And when I tell you it was like trauma left and right, wow. it was trauma left and right. And that's the part they don't tell you about when they're trying to recruit you. So they don't tell you, oh, you might endure this or you may encounter this. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't prepared coming out of a traumatic, you know, childhood right. to go right back into trauma. I was like, oh, my goodness. like There's no escape. 
Wow. So, but I will say like the biggest one, and honestly, I've never really shared this before right now, mm-hmm. is I was sexually assaulted while being married to another service member and he was deployed. Wow. Um, I didn't talk about it because I don't, I think I was in so much shock mm-hmm. because here I am trying to process trauma from like coming from a traumatic childhood to in the military, going overseas, new mother, newly married, and then this happens. So I'm like processing all these things at the same time. And honestly, that's when I first like ever felt like depressed or anxious mm. or had any like suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. But I had a baby. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, it was one of those things where it's like, I was like, okay, I'm gonna just push this off and I'm gonna be all right. Yeah. But I wasn't okay. And I remember going to one leader. So what I didn't know at the time is that she was racist. Mm. <laughs> just a whole lot of other things. Mm-hmm. So I go to her and I tell her like how I'm struggling. I didn't tell her all the details. I just said Dang. I'm struggling. And I only told I was like two pounds, two pounds, y'all. Yeah. yeah. Over and, you know, the Marines be a little whatever <laughs> about <The> extra <laughs> yes being within your max yeah. but so my max was like 150 so I'm 152 mm-hmm. and I'm like struggling with those two pounds yeah. so I go to her and tell her I'm having a hard time and that I'm like two, now she ain't had no proof <laughs> she ain't had no proof other than what I said mm-hmm. why I come to work the next day and she had recommended me for the BCP program, the body composition program. So, yeah. ma'am, instead of, you know, trying to make sure I get counseling for what what's going on up here yeah. and make me sit in the sauna maybe for like 30 minutes. Right. You put me on a program that's going to make sure I don't get promoted. Wow. Seriously. Yeah. But let me just tell you, God always have a ram in the bush because there was a... Master gunnery sergeant, that's an E-9 in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. He was my master sergeant in a schoolhouse when I had let move to finance. And he saw me request mass then because mm-hmm. they were not trying to promote me. But I don't know what their reason was. I think they were racist, too. Yeah. You know, they try to cover that up. That's really, a reality. That's a really real bad. reality. Yeah. And so, you know, I requested mass and he got the package first. Oh. And he was like. He called me in, in his office mm-hmm. and we talked about it. And he was like, oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And I was like, what you mean don't worry about that? He was like, I, he said, I read it. I looked at it because she felt untouchable because she was, she was a master sergeant in e, E8. Yeah. So she felt like, could nobody do nothing to her? But yeah. he was like, if she trying to put you on this without asking, he was like, you two pounds over. He was like, you can lose that in your sleep. Yeah. He was like, so if you go on, I'm gonna put her on too. So that that the whole thing was traumatic. Oh my but gosh. to tell you, I'm thankful for having leaders in higher positions than myself yeah. that protected me and looked out for me because I sure needed it. <laughs> yeah. Really did. That is, we all need that person in our corner. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing. All right, let's go with Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, tell us a little bit about yourself and your your service and what did you do and your experience? 
Yes, ma'am. Um, again, my name is Anne Marie. Um, I served 21 years um, in the Army. Um, what, wow, where do I begin? Okay, so um, in the military, at first, I, I was able to change my MOS. So I was a cook. Then I changed from a cook to um, an MP and then from an MP to human resources. But at the time, um, I went over to Iraq. You know, I'm one. Shonda, Shonda, um, Shonda knows um, who I am. And, you know, I'm a very happy-go-lucky and happy person. And, yeah. You know, make everybody laugh. I'm like the friendly giant because I am six feet tall, the friendly giant. And I like everyone to laugh and, you know, just like to spread some light right. in everyone's life. Um, so um, um, I was able, you know, I was deployed. Um, I, I, my first duty station was Germany. So um, that was back in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was in Germany, Stuttgart, Germany, and I went through to the um, Desert Shield. I was in, went to the Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Mm -hmm. um, saw a lot there, mm -hmm. 18 years old. Wow. And thrown into war. Mm. Saw at a lot. Yes, yeah. at 18. Saw a lot. Um, after that, after um, Germany, um, I was stationed at um, Fort Carson, Colorado, which mm -hmm. I love that place. Yeah. And then later I went to Korea and then I ended up in um, Kansas, okay. um, Fort Riley, Kansas. But anyways, um, in Kansas, I was able, um, we, I got deployed to Fort Seal and um Fort Seal, Oklahoma, and we were on our way to Iraq, in which um I was at El Assad. So we were mixed in with the Marines. You know, there was Marines yeah. and armies, um uh, an army date. Right. So I was sexually assaulted by a first sergeant marine. Mm. Um, um I can talk about it now because yeah. um you know I was able to um I, they, I was sent to a hospital. But this is the thing, though, um, when this happened, you know, there's like a stigma, especially, you know, there's, you know, women um, that, you know, that they are placed on us, you know, oh, you asked for it or you mm. put yourself in that position or you would just lose. That's not no that that in my case, that that wasn't the case. And sometimes where I found, you know, there's a lot of fraternization in the military. Yes, there is. Had, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. um, I'm talking about from basic training all the way. Yeah. Even being that happens to me a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, that happened to me a lot. But this particular time, you know, it's, you know. Um, unfortunately, I was sexually assaulted. I was in a real good unit. Um, mm. People know me. They know that um, I'm a ray of sunshine. They know yeah. that. And I talk yeah. a lot. Yeah. When I say talk a lot, not just telling my bids. You know, I just yeah. love talking to people. My kind of girl. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, I do. I yeah. really love talking to people. Yeah. And it's like one day, you know, after this happened, I'm not going to go much into detail because I know that you're going to ask questions later. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, then I was able to get the help that I needed. But this is the sad part about it. Um, so during this time, this was in 2004. Yeah. I don't know if you all know about the med board process. 
Tell us about it for those that don't. Yeah, the, the med board mm-hmm. process, they started it where they were, um, you know, let's say if something traumatic happened to a soldier, they're able to evaluate, get to get you the help that you need. And then if the soldiers, what they would do, they would see if you're fit to stay mm-hmm. in the military or not. Yeah. And if you're not, you can be compensated for it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So with what happened to me, it was it was a very traumatic thing. They were talking. To, um, so what they said was um, the NCIS. They also had Navy there. Mm-hmm. They had um, went over the case after all of this happened. Uh, right. You know, I got the rape kit done and all of that. So then they sent me um, they sent me back to Kansas. And so they had a board, they had a board and on this board, they were all men. Mm. They were all men, Mm -hmm. sergeant majors, lieutenant colonels on this board. And they said, and I still, to this day, I had a stack. This, it was this high. And they said that I'm fit for duty. Mm. They said, go back to work. I'm fit for duty. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you, it was such a depression that I was under because I'm like, okay, I'm back in Kansas. A lot of times you have some of these units, they look at these women and you're ostracized mm-hmm. or you're kicked to the curb. So mm-hmm. that's how it was for me. That was yeah. my experience. Yeah. So thank God one day, my first sergeant says, um, um, Sergeant Strong, um, the Lieutenant Colonel from Behavioral Health wants to see you. Mm-hmm. So he was like, what's all that about? I said, I don't know, but let me go see. So I walked into the office. So mind you, with everything that I went through, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a smile on my face, but I was really hurt on the inside. I tried to hold it all together until I went into that office. It was a colonel. She was a, um, she was a colonel. She was an 05. And she was like, hi, you know, her name was um, Colonel Kinsey. Mm-hmm. And she said she edited. So she was looking up. I walked into her office. She had all these records, uh, medical records everywhere. So she says, Amory, I mean, she says, Sarn Strong. She said, come in and have a seat. Yeah. So she said, you know, I was editing your record and something told me to check this record right here. Yeah. So when she checked the record and opened it up, she asked me, she said, did you get the help that you needed? Mm. And I said, no, ma'am. And it's just like, I just, I'm going to tell you, I cried so hard. I cried. I'd never cried like that before Mm -hmm. because it was so much for someone just to say, do you need help? Yes. You know, do you need help? No, because even when I went through what I went through, I kind of like felt that I was, I was to blame. Yeah. I felt like I was I was the one. Mm. I mean, I wasn't the victim. You mm-hmm. you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So um I was so what they did, um, you know, she talked, I mean, she was crying too. Yeah. Um and so what she did, she sent me to Palo Alto. I was in a women's um recovery trauma center mm. in Palo Alto, California for three and a half months. Wow. And so I was there. So um like I said, it's so many and um, had to go to court. We met Marimar, um, California. I had to go to um, court and this person, you know, he was there. And after all, to make a long story short, 
the judge asked me, he says, he says, Sergeant Strong, why do you think women don't come forth? I said, women don't come forth because nobody's going to believe them. Yeah. I said, you have so many women in the military who's claiming that they were raped or this, that, and it was a lie. And it's it's been done all to, you know, all of us who I know Shonda, Shonda knows this. You have a lot of women. I mean, especially if you serve, I've been, I served since the 80s. Yeah. So it's always been, you know, lies, goals, you know, so it hurts. It hurts the, the, the women that are telling the truth. Yeah. And I told Absolutely. the judge, you know, I just yeah. told the judge, I was like, people don't want to come forth because, and, and is there just has been so many women that went through what I went through. Mm -hmm. They cannot talk about it. They're mm -hmm. depressed. Mm -hmm. They're addicted to drugs. They're addicted to alcohol mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I found uh, so much in common with what you said, the things that yes. you said, the experiences that you went through, um, yeah. especially, you know, about, you know, kind of essentially what you were saying is about them sweeping it under the rug. Nobody took time yes. to um, address you and your issues. And that yeah. is definitely something that a lot of women, I think, are finding yeah. um, in common, which is which is uh, it's sad. It's a sad, sad thing. Um, so, Robin, I don't want to leave you out, ma'am. <laughs> this, this has been good so far. We already in, in session already. <laughs> so, Robin, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the military. First, I would like to say I like how we're all locked up. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yay. You know what I'm saying? That I have been in the Army um, National Guard. I was in for seven years. Okay. And um, I went through my first year of college and realized how hard it was for tuition. So that's what made me actually join right. the um, Army National Guard because it's just, you know, they paid for it. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. I never felt I was for the military, but I was like, you know, I'm a tough cookie, so I'm going to go about it. But yeah. um, I got through day training and everything and I got into my unit. And as uh, soon as I got into my unit, I had a NCO. And of course, you know, in the military, you know, I was a military brat. Yeah. So you trust military people that kind of like supposed to be your mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. and supposed to have this support for you. And um, the first thing, of course, that they were like, oh, I'm going to, you know, take this young soldier under my wing yeah. and, you know, be there to support her. And of course, you know, most of them are men. So uh, pretty much I had an NCO and he was acting like, you know, he's going to help me. You know, he's just going to take me, teach me everything and stuff. So. Uh, it eventually got to where I guess one day he claimed he didn't have his car or something and he wanted me to give him a ride to go get something to eat, which, you know, was nothing to me. Cause he'd always, you know, maybe get me some food and stuff. Yeah. Um, but while I was helping carry it into his room, I was raped. Wow. And, uh, you know, I'm 19, I'm in college. Yeah. So of course what Anne Marie said, Oh, were you loose? Were you drinking? Yeah. Were you, you know, there's all these questions of what was I doing to make, make him do it? it. <laughs> I'm like, <Yeah>. nothing. <laughs> like, he, I got a rape kit done. Um, we went to court, which were like Amarita at men. Yeah. And um, I was asked the same questions again. Were you drinking? Well, you're in college, you know, aren't you sexually active? Things like mm -hmm. that. Um, um, I remember even just I was like bawling to my unit, like letting them know, like, I, I didn't even want to see him. I don't feel why he was still there, you know, why nothing was done. 
And of course, they're just like, oh, he's not going to do anything. I talked to him and, you know, you're fine. He's fine. I'm like, no, that's, you know, I'm telling them, you know, it's traumatizing to me to keep seeing this man. And he's pretty much like able to laugh it off because nothing happens. They're not doing anything. So, um, and then after people find out, he was just like this pillar in our units where everybody trusted him and liked him so much. They felt I'm this new soldier who came in and was just lying on him and trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, set him up. So I was even scrutinized for that to where they were against me. Yeah. Not talking to me, shutting me out, everything. Yeah. After that, um, I had like, you know, my stack of paperwork, you know, they were trying to um say that I was good, fit for duty, so yeah. fit for duty that after that they sent me straight to Iraq. Wow. And um <laughs> I was there for 400 days where he also mm. was. Mm. So I had to endure that, you know, and I'm telling them. I'm like losing it. Like, cause I'm like, y'all aren't giving me time to even heal mm-hmm. or just even, you know, but they're looking at it. Like, were well, you really right? You know, are you're good. You're fine. You'll be fine. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. So when I get back all of that on top of it, on top of it, on top of it, like by 2013, yeah, I was willing to kill myself. Cause I felt like nobody cared or like was, you know, trying to understand me. And they pretty much just swept everything under the rug. So yeah um that was the biggest thing for me was just like i shouldn't have i felt i shouldn't have let him take me there but it did you know he lived in my head rent free for years and i had to get over wow. that so um you know and it's the fact that you know i was 19 and he had like a 16 year old daughter so mm. i was like you know <laughs> that yeah. was already messed up to me and um right. you know i'm even just making the uh, the point of letting them know we had a zero tolerance on sexual harassment briefing. Yeah. We have no fraternization mm-hmm. briefing. And it's like, even with the rape kid, knowing that he still has sex with me, he gets nothing, you know? So that, that to me just blew me about the military altogether because like I said, Iraq was another thing. You know, we're in IED attacks. I was in a transportation. Mm-hmm. So we're transporting stuff from Iraq to Kuwait. Mm-hmm. And um, that was most of the time, every day, if not every other day. And, you know, we, like you said, um, I think Sean was saying that you didn't have like the T walls and stuff, you know, we didn't have that either. So yeah. we're just, can something you, we all had to just get information or, can, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you go back just to explain real quick for those that are not familiar? Um, tell us what the T walls are and why okay, that's relevant. So the, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The T walls, these, um, they're these special barriers that they put up that's supposed to protect you if like something um happens like a bomb or rocket launcher is okay. done. Mm-hmm. That's where you will go behind them and they're supposed to protect you better yeah. than just standing out there. But um, yeah. they're pretty much just a bunch of sandbags um that they stack up. <laughs> they're supposed to take cover under. And then there's the ones that are concrete yeah. um that you can get behind. They usually are the ones they wanted us to get behind, which are like uh just in a row, gotcha. something to kind of block out the shrapnel and everything. So gotcha. um with you know, that's what just pushed me to go to therapy because at first I felt like therapy was a load of crap because I was like, if they didn't listen to me, who's really going to help me and listen to me? Mm-hmm. So the first therapy sessions, I remember I was just like dead silent for an hour and just wow. looking at her and she was looking at me and she was like, are you going to say anything? And I was like, no. Wow. <laughs> so that, you know, it made me numb, you know, yeah. to a lot of stuff and I had to get my feeling back. Yeah. Um, but once I did, I realized like, I don't want to wish this like about my worst enemy. So mm. I started, you know, my nonprofit and just making sure the suicide prevention became my life and my career. 
So now um, I have I'm a, I have a bachelor's in psychology and just uh, do suicide prevention for veterans and just, you know, try to spread positivity the best I can. Because I'm like, like I said, I'm like, Emory, I'm positive. I'm always talking. I'm always bubbly. I'm a morning person. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, try to make sure that I give other people that light that felt, you know, just in the darkness like I did and just yeah. give them that peace and that moment. And to keep going because I didn't want to keep going. I really was just like, no one loves me. Like I had really a gun to my head. So mm-hmm. you just got to give that um, motivation that that's peace. There is somebody who still wants you around mm-hmm. no matter what happened. So, you know, Absolutely. Uh, so I got out, you know, I just made that my mission. But uh, those last years of serving were really rough. Honestly, they went ahead and let me go because I was so out of it. Like I was always smoking marijuana, mm-hmm. everything, drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I get people to see is that suicide always have to do with you physically doing something, like putting a gun in your head or taking pills. I was even being reckless to where I would get drunk and drive on purpose. And if I died, wow. it's so be, you know, that's yeah. the side ideations. Yeah. So um, I've been in a ditch, nose, you know, little car up in the air, everything. Wow. <laughs> and it's like, every time. I know I should have been dead, but yeah. you know, God, someone, I don't know. So, uh, yeah. I, I live that day by day. Like someone wanted you here. You're here for a reason. So that's right. Trauma affects you on different levels. And so it's, it's different layers. So, you know, you have the actual physical trauma that you experience, but then you have to deal with it in your mind. You're affected in your mind. You're affected in your spirit as well, too. And so when you die a spiritual death, that's kind of what opens the door to you having, okay, well, now I got mind battles. Now I'm dealing with, you know, these thoughts that are coming in, you know, so that's, it's kind of like a gateway. Yeah. I tell everybody the same thing. It's a, it's a journey. You know, I hate when people just say, oh, I'm healed. Yeah. I'm good. Like I'm completely, I'm like, it's a year. It's a process. Years. I'm still, I still backtrack today, you know? So it's like, I don't feel anyone's ever just fully healed. You cope with it better throughout time. Right. But it's never just completely gone. Right. Well, I want to thank you, uh, ladies, definitely for sharing your story. Um, And like I say, I think what I found uh, in all of them is that, you know, we 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 do have a lot of things in common that we've experienced, that experience of being in the military. Um, I've dealt with uh, a military sexual trauma as well, too. Um, I've dealt with harassment, um, you know, and, and things were just swept up under under the rug, you know, nothing uh, was done about it. I took it to my supervisors at one time and they were like, oh, don't worry about him. He's he's just playing. He's not serious. You know, he's he's just messing with you, you know, and uh, I ended up <laughs> I ended up having to, you know, let my he was my fiance at the time. Well, I don't even think we were engaged. He was my boyfriend at the time. And uh, he had to go and handle things. I tell you what, that that dude, ain't never talked to me again. He, he never bothered me again. Um, but I shouldn't have had to have, you know, put it in his hands. If I have management and if, if I have my leaders there. Uh, with me, they should be the ones to take care of that. And it's it's so sad that it's a common story that people are getting away, you know, with with treating people, with treating women, you know, in these ways where why is why is rape so common in the military? You know, why why is it so common? Um that's a whole that's a whole topic in it in and of itself. Um, but let me go ahead on. We're going to continue with this. This this is a good conversation already. Um, what do you think is most 
un- most misunderstood when it comes to dealing with women and the military? I think it's showing up authentically as ourselves because we may not be accepted. Yeah. Um, as everybody was talking, I was reminded of this. Like I told you, it's just trauma everywhere. I was reminded of something that I, I really just kind of pushed, I guess, in the back of my mind mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when it came to thinking of trauma, probably because I'm more forward in that process. Yeah. But I remember losing my first set of kids. Um, I was pregnant and, you know, I show up to work, you know, I'm just my real authentic self. I have natural hair. You know, they tell me I need to look a certain way. I need to be a certain way. And I need to act a certain way, talk a certain way, you know, but I was motor T really. Yeah. You want to act like you want me to act like I'm working in admin. Yeah. Motor T like, (laughs) so you know, but that's just how I am all the time. This is my personality. You telling me I can't be that now. But I remember coming to work. It's like I came to work one day and then I was pregnant. And obviously back in that time, I said like it was a long time ago. But <laughs> at that time, they didn't have all the camis matching. So everybody would know you was pregnant. So they would be in deserts and you'd have this pregnant, pregnant woodland Cammy's on, you know, they've now fixed that, thank the Lord. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> back then they didn't. So now I'm back in regular, you know, Cammy's. And so, but when I went to the doctor, there was this Navy officer and he was talking to me. And I remember my, my um, master sergeant at that time was like, okay, make sure you ask them for 30 days. Make sure you do it, a dude now. He was like, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. And I went in there and did all the things. And so this guy says to me, I say, hey, because he was like, oh, you just get two days. Two days. Wow. Two days. Yeah. I was 20 weeks pregnant with two babies. Are you serious? And two Two days days was all they were going to give you all? Saying I was fit for duty. That was crazy. And so I was like, no, I think I need more like 30 days or longer. He going to say, and like... This hurt my heart at that time because I was super young. Mm-hmm. So he was like, "No, that's for people who really have kids." <gasps> wow, that just happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like a a doctor. Yeah, I'm like, I did just have two kids. They just yeah. weren't breathing like a full baby that I looked at. Like, yeah, are you serious? So it it like after that, I was just not myself. And that was more accepted than when I was being myself prior to that incident. Mm -hmm. I think one of the harder things is for us to show up authentically as ourselves, despite what somebody may think or feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And I I think for me, um, I think the thing that is misunderstood is that people think that everybody is the same in the military and we're not. Women and men are two different two different things. We process different. We think different. We respond and we react. We receive things different. And I think that is, um, I think that's where a problem lies because they think, just like you said, they wanted you to bounce back, <laughs> you know, after, after two days. No, that's, that's not how it works. So I, I, I um, also we, we're, we always required, to, we have been granted to think we have to do more. We oh, have yeah. to do double 
what they do in order to get up the corporate ladder or to to get a promotion. Mm -hmm. Just like uh, people always said, Ginger uh, Rogers did the same thing as Fred Astaire, except she did it in two inch heels. Mm -hmm. They did the same dance. So it's, but, and he got paid more. So everything that we do as women has to be, we've been told you have to work harder. You can't just do the bare minimum and think you're going to get promoted the same. And, you know, the military is one of those that they pride themselves on saying, and E4 in the army with two years, male or female, get the same pay. They yeah. may get the same pay, but they don't get there at the same time and under the same circumstances. Yeah, sure. The truth. So it's the mindset that we, Oprah Winfrey says she's a billionaire now. Now, you know, she went through trauma going through the, her career that as women, it was something that was embedded years ago yeah. in every aspect that we didn't even realize it was there yeah. because that's the way we built. Anytime women go to get any kind of diagnosis with the VA, they think black women are so strong that we have this facade that you don't look like nothing's wrong with you. You just lost two babies. You can go back to work in two days. You're a strong mm-hmm. black woman. It's not going to bother you. That's not, that's how they say we built. But like Teresa was saying, we've got to be authentic in who we are. And yeah. they say, no, this bothers me. This hurts me. I'm offended by this. Why can't I get the same? One guy came in. He said, I know you got a purple heart when you got injured. And in he said, but why did they give you, um, I think he said, I got a broad metal something. And it's another award they give to all the platoon sergeants, whether they do anything or not. I'm not, yeah. star, I'm not sure. He, he was like, because you actually took people out of combat. That was, you was injured. You drove a vehicle while incoming rockets were still coming. And mm-hmm. you drove them to the first aid station. I'm going to send my purple heart writer, but the, I was the Kansas National Guard, which is all white. I was the only black female mm-hmm. that deployed with the Kansas National Guard. Yeah. <laughs> and the colonel, he wrote it up as if, oh, you know, an injury is something that you don't go to achieve in war. It happens, yeah. but you're not there to achieve that. A bronze star is something that you did beyond what you did to achieve right. your purple heart. Right. And so he, I don't know why he, when I came back from that on, at Fort Hood, the people that reviewed our records, he was like, why didn't they? Uh, and, you know, it's one of those things that as women, it's, I don't got time to prove that. I'm, I just want to get out of here. I'm ready to go home. Yeah. You know, but it's mm-hmm. one of those things where we have to work double and do more in order to get what man already has already accomplished for the male. Right. That's it. That's it. Um, So as I said before, you guys, I was in the Navy. Um, I worked in the field of construction. So in that field, you know, number one, it's not a lot of women. um, And number two, we know it's not a lot of black women. Um, So when I got to the military, that was really the very first time that I experienced racism. Um, you know, it was a lot of times that I was disrespected, you know, I, I won't go into detail about all of it, but, you know, I've heard the jokes, um, I've had the public shaming, um, I've had the missed opportunities and the harassment and, you know, being discriminated against, um, it seemed like, you know, <laughs> just about seen it all. But what I found is that when I raised my voice or, you know, I opened my mouth to tell, to talk about these things, it seemed like. I said before, like it got swept up under the rug or they ignored it, um, you know, or they covered for the person or, you know, they would turn it around on me and make it look like it was my fault. Like most of y'all have said as well, too. You know, unfortunately, this is something that happens to a lot of women in the military. Um, So, as I said, I know you guys have dealt with this. Put me in the mindset of where you were during that time and how how that treatment, how it affected you and what was the impact it had on you moving forward. Um, Let's talk with you, Anne-Marie. So one of the things is I know that um, it's just like the things that Robin, I mean, Robin 
story is so much like mine. Mm -hmm. I ain't smoke weed though. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, mean, I but didn't do that, but I was very depressed. Yeah. I was so depressed. Shonda, I call Shonda Shonda May. So Shonda May, you know, I, you know, I had um, you know, it, it I, I I guess that when that happened to me, it's like my circle was no longer like that big circle. It just yeah. started to, it started to be like, I can't trust anybody. Mm. At that moment, I felt like after what happened to me, I was like, I blame myself. I said, maybe I should take a knife or maybe I should scratch up my face, or maybe I should, I, I mean, there has been a time where I felt like I wanted to drive off the cliff, literally. Mm. Um, when certain people came around, you know, sometimes we can put up all these facades and make people think that we're okay, but I wasn't. Um, so what really got me was when I went to the hearing, the lawyer said, you're an attractive African-American lady. Mm -hmm. You have strong legs. This is what he said. You have strong legs. Why couldn't you? I mean, did, did, did you fight? Can you fight? I thought it was insulting that he said that. Because it's like, okay, I'm tall, you know, because I made a comment that, I, you know, I know I'm strong. I'm, I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm strong. Um, but he, it's like what he said, it it did something. It, it felt like when he said what he said, I felt like I was the blame. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was the blame for what happened to me. So the the, the guy, what he did. Um, I found when I went through the NCIS, when everything was done, when every when he did, and and the thing was, he reached for his weapon. When he reached for his weapon, that's when I, you know, I kicked them off, fight just was fighting them, yeah. and then I I remembered um, I had a bite, and I rolled. I couldn't even sit on the bike. That's just how bad it was. Um, I just felt like for a long time, I felt like I was the one to blame. Yeah. It was my fault. Why? I said, why am I so nice to people? I, I was like, maybe I need to have a ratchet attitude. Yeah, I'm from Detroit. I'm from the hood. Why couldn't I have? Okay, well, maybe I need to start having a ratchet attitude. So in essence, I just want, I just felt like I was the blame. Yeah. What happened, what, what changed that was the fact that when I was sent to get help, you know, for help, when they sent me to that one, that women's trauma center, that helped me Yeah, because I had to talk about things. I, I would say I'm okay. So like, even right now, I'm 54 years old. Mm -hmm. This happened a few, like maybe what, 20 years ago or so, or yeah. eight, 15, 18, I don't know, mm -hmm. but it's like, I can just remember like it was yesterday. Mm. I remember the smell. I remember the touch. I remember the sounds. 
everything. It's like, but what got me through, I think sometimes when we go through things, mm. we have to, we have to acknowledge it, first of all, and we need to talk about it. Because I found that when I went to get the help that I needed and I talked about it, I felt better. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that when you, like um, Robin had said, that's something that um, would never go away. Me and my husband had this conversation yesterday. Hmm. And I said, you know, Trey, I was like, although this happened, I'll never forget. I can forgive. Yeah. Can God heal? Yes, he can. Yeah. yeah, he can heal you. Yeah. But the thing is, that it seems like, I mean, it's something I'll never forget, but I will say this, there's no grudge, there's no hate, there's nothing there in my heart. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. it's like, but to, to, to still remember, I mean, it's like, I can't forget because, you know, even sometimes, you know, intimately, yeah. um, certain things that, you know, my husband may do or, or, or how he may touch or mm -hmm. move, but it triggers. Yeah. Sometimes I have those triggers. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so how it affects me now, I thank God for my faith. Yeah. I thank God for the people that he has placed in my life. Mm -hmm. I do thank God for healing. Um, through all of this, I was able to guess what? Talk to other women. Yeah. Encourage other women. Hey, talk about it. There's yes. someone that you can trust if you just talk about it. And then I would say something like, you know, when someone goes through something traumatic, so, you know, sometimes we'd be so quick to say, oh, just trust God. Just mm -hmm. trust God. Yeah, you know, we can trust God. But some people really need that heads on help. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they need that help. So. Um, through all of that, when I talked about it, um, you know, um, I, I had people, Shonda was one um, of the ones that was there for me. Mm -hmm. um, I had some some other um, individuals that was there for me as well. And then I was able to move because I felt like I was stagnated. I felt yeah. like, you know, I can't, you know, because I kept blaming myself. First yeah. of all. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to mention this. When they had all the they had all the evidence. This mm. this individual skin was under my nails. Mm. His um his uh um uh, I was bruised really bad. And this fool, I'm sorry, this fool wind up. <laughs> it's, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, he, he this he shaved down there. Yeah, he shaved his whole private area. Yeah, that was the, and so. They had all the evidence, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they was like, okay, we're going to go to the court martial. We're going to yeah. go to it. The day before it was time for me to leave, they said that they acquitted him. Wow. The day before. How did they do that? So, so they said, oh, it's your word against his. Mm. So I had to come. I had to come. Um, I, I My attorney was at um was in Kansas because he went with me to California. Yeah. And he was like, Amory, he said, I don't even know what happened. Mm. He said, I don't know what happened. But guess what? These were all men. Yeah. All men. Yeah. On there. So it's like, so, 
like I said, I mean, it's sad, but this stuff still goes on. Yeah. It still goes on. But guess what? Even in the midst of all of that, I was still able to move on. You know, um, after the hospital, it was the, the hospital that I was in. It was very intensive. It was very intensive. I was on a campus. Um, they, uh, we didn't have TVs in the room. And I was like, where's mm. the TV? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, where's the TV? Yeah. But they taught me something there. They taught me something because I always wore hats. I always, you know, anytime you see somebody with their hair in the face, yeah. I used to, you know, have that. And they was like, what are you hiding? So yeah. they had the panel with psychiatrists, psychologists, and social workers. And it was, it was five, it was, it was five women that was in this trauma center. And we had to sit um, and speak to these people every day, yeah. but it was therapy. Yeah. We had, um, we had therapy every day. So to make a long story short, um, you know, by me talking about it, acknowledging first yeah. and being able to be, sometimes we have to just be vulnerable. I'm sorry. Yeah. I know I'm a strong woman, but sometimes we have to be vulnerable. And I had to get to that point where I got to trust somebody. I, yeah. Somebody, like Robin said, you know, it's, it, it was hard to even trust in, you know, who can I trust? Because they're going to say that, oh, it was your fault. That's how I felt. I felt like Rob, what Robin says. Yeah. But I was able to move on. Um, I'm married. Um, I have four children. 29, 20, 11, and, um, um, and 14, mm -hmm. um, I'm presently, you know, I'm working on my doctorate degree. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I graduate next year, yes. but I have to say that I, I really truly have to say, um, Leah, uh -huh. I thank you for, we, we need stuff like this. Yes. Because there, there are a lot of women. I have talked to women. I sat next to a woman and we were just, and she just opened up to me and mm -hmm. she says, I'm not going to say anything because all they're going to do is this, that, and the other. And I said, but look at you. I mm. said, you are a loose cannon. Mm. She said, it doesn't matter. You know, some women just don't think that there's help. They don't trust people. Do you yeah. see them? When yeah. you come from out of a unit where you have all of this hoopla going on, there's no one that you can talk to. They get out of the military. They carry that mentality. And some of them are just, they, they're just loose cannons. Yeah, I definitely think that um, there is a uh, power in telling your story. Um, I think it's freeing, number one, just, you know, the purge, uh, number one. But the biggest thing for me, and this is why I'm so big on transparency, especially on this show, is that there's so many other women, as we found, that experience the same thing. And sometimes hearing it from somebody else, you know, everybody's not going to be brave enough to talk about it. Everybody's not going to be brave yeah. enough, you know, to tell the truth about what's going on, especially because they're worried about, they, number one, they got to feed their families. They have to feed yeah. themselves. They have to take care of themselves. That can damage their careers. Um, 
I'm going down on a tangent, but <laughs> it's it's something that is definitely needed. We need the transparency because you never know who you're going to touch with that story. Yes. You never know how you're going to help them. It could be one little thing you said that can change the the traje- tra- trajectory. How come I can't say that? It can change their life, you know, and, and it, it might be the spark for them to get their healing. So that's mm-hmm. why I felt like this was definitely something important to do. Uh, yeah. And especially... I'm I'm just so grateful to you all for being on here and sharing your stories and being so transparent. Um, so let me ask this. Once um once you recognize that you're in a toxic situation, like a toxic work environment, or you're in a place that's not safe, you know, especially in that moment, what are some of the things that you know we can do to fight back or to put an end to that? that type of harassment or, you know, to put it, to get back into safe, a safe space. What are some of the things that we can do? Ooh, that's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Like it's just, it's still ongoing. You know, nothing's really ever, especially if it's a man type of environment, Mm -hmm. they really don't put stuff like that in a place where I guess expect it, you know, to happen. So I think until it happens, no one's kind of like really trying to, make a safe space or put it in a place until someone kind of comes forward. And when they do, it's more so trying to get rid of it versus, you know, fixing it and doing something about it. Yeah. So um, I feel like it's still a, like a ongoing project. I wouldn't say that there's ways um, to go around it all together. Yeah. But I feel like um, most workspaces should at least have something in place, whether it's like a behavioral therapist or something to give that therapy or to have someone to speak to if something does happen and then actually put everything together versus he says she says because yeah. that's the thing that we always face is the you're against a man's word you just yeah. like they automatically feel like how you're dare you how <laughs> dare you against this man and he's like our favorite employee you know or something like right. that so that's mm-hmm. how i felt was just you know I thought that that was in place. Like I said, there was zero tolerance policies. There was all kinds of stuff they put into place to make it seem like it was important. But once they happened, there was this whole other scenario. So yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's something that really does need to be tackled. Because even in my own workplace, we're thankfully, we are all women. We're on yeah. that Um, And maybe one or two guys scattered in the other building. But in my building, we're all women. Yeah. So we don't have to really worry about But um. You know, it's just it's just about really getting into the moment to me is like people put it in the playlist. Like once it gets to that moment, it's, you know, it's hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, I you know, it's it, it may be hard. So my my job, I work with I work at Fort Liberty um, used to be Fort Bragg. They changed it to Fort Liberty. Okay. And I'm a career counselor. I have conversations with soldiers um, all the time who have been in toxic units, but me, myself, I can say that my whole career, I had a great career mm-hmm. in the military with exception of what happened to me in the end. Yeah. But one of the things, you know, it's tough because my son, my, my son is 29 and he's um, he's at Fort Drum. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I say this to say that he's in a toxic unit. Mm. And so being in a toxic unit, it's like sometimes being in that unit. You, you say, okay, um, I'm going to go to the IG or I'm going to go to the JAD. But don't yeah. you know that some of them are in cahoots? They go to the bar together. They go bowling together. 
Yeah. Hey, do you know your soldier said came and did this and and did that and yeah. came to our office for this? So then it makes it like, who can I trust? Now, yeah. I'm one, you know, like um, something that I told my son because my son plays basketball uh-huh. and he, you know, so I was like, so he like getting with the big dog. Yeah. You know, finding people. At, so this is what I would do. I would ask questions. Sometimes you have to go higher than higher than high. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you, you can, you can, what is it? You can do a congressional. Mm-hmm. Those, those congressionals work. It may take time. Yeah. Um, my husband was like, hey, go to the, um, go to the WRAL, go to the TV station, do whatever you have to do. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but Leah, and I know mm-hmm. all of you guys can vouch for me. Sometimes in toxic, and when you're in those type environments, sometimes it's really hard to get out of that because, yeah. especially if you're in a small place. Mm-hmm. And it's like I, I had a girlfriend of mine, same it, it a story like it was just like Robbins too, mm. and she was in a small unit. Yeah. She tried to go um get help. They if she tried to get out of the unit, they wouldn't get her out of the mm-hmm. unit. They they started pick nitpicking on different things to try to get her kicked out of the military and all of that. Yeah. You yeah. know, so you know, Leah, that's something that like Robin said, it's just something that's ongoing. And yeah. sometimes some, you know, some of these young privates or these young soldiers who um who who get harassed, the women that get harassed, they have no, you know, it's like sometimes these men would threaten them to the point that it's nothing that you can do. Yeah. And I had a female that came through my office. She says it just was too much for me. So I, I she said, yeah. so she did something to get in trouble so she can get kicked out because wow. she couldn't. Have, she could. She there was no help. Yeah, yeah. My goodness. Um, now I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, Shonda and Robin, I know that you know. As we said before, you all had the experience of actually being, you know, in war. Um, I wanted to know a couple things about that. So first of all, um, what did that trauma look like for you? What, what was the effect that it had on your life after you were back in, uh, in safety? Uh, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't think sometimes we realize how we are affected by mm-hmm. trauma. We think, and you know, like Amory said, she's from Detroit. So to hear somebody shooting on the corner block might not face her at all. Yeah. But for me, if I was now that I've been in a comeback situation, I was sitting in um, the mall one day and this lady had, I don't know if anybody know what the incoming sounds, the incoming rocket sound sounds like that alarm goes off. Mm-hmm. That was her phone ringer oh. when her phone rang and I was sitting next to her and it went off and I said to myself, it just, my, my heart just dropped. Yeah. And then I thought, I looked at it and I was like, who would have that on their phone? Yeah. Or maybe she doesn't really understand the significance of yeah. what that means to some people. Mm-hmm. But so, that small things like that, yeah. you know, or like, you know, like, you know I, I'm hesitating. I don't go to Walmart. I sit in the parking lot in Walmart and send him inside yeah. and just watch, watch the crazy people in the parking lot. <laughs> but, but that's I a show. <laughs> that's a show with it. Yeah. released by PTSD. Just watching people going into Walmart. That's right. So <laughs> I have this, it's just something about, it. and, and I, I didn't even realize this because my counselor was telling me, she said, you've seen a lot of things happening in Walmart with shootings. Yes. 
as if you, they was in combat. Mm-hmm. People getting shot up in Walmart. So you yeah. don't realize in the back of your mind that could still be there. Yeah. And you're thinking that this happened to my friend, this happened to me, this happened to my friends. Yeah. And um, so you don't realize the effect of it until certain things just like it triggers. Mm. And and I and not and I never even knew it. I just went on by my day to day, you know, working DOD, working VA, yeah. working social security. Like I'm just, you know, I'm good. Mm. And then it's like first the suicides of your battle buddies, and then this mm-hmm. happens and that happened, and then you start realizing, oh wow, you know, we we was actually in war, and somebody was actually fired to kill us, right? Because you don't think about that when you go there. You don't be there's a storm. With, I wasn't in Vietnam, so I know how they felt in Vietnam. I was there's a storm was a breeze for some people in war, wow. but Iraq and Afghanistan was a whole nother beast. Mm. You didn't know who your enemy was, and so I worked in a warehouse. Uh, shop office ASL. We had to go and get the workers, the Afghans, to come and work for us at the yeah. gate. Yeah. A week after I left, April of 2020, that the V bed went off in the gate from the workers that I used to go pick up. Mm. Com- support for uh, Bob Shank in Afghanistan completely wiped it out. Mm. I was on R and R. Come back, and I said, "Wow!" Just to think about the small things that have. My husband said, "I think working in shop office must be following you with combat." Well. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> because wow. both of my offices was hit in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. But it's just something that you keep it in your mind and you mm-hmm. feel like when I come back to the real world, which, you know, some people say there's no such thing as a real world anymore <laughs> because, you know, there's war in, in country and out of country. Yeah. And but you have to uh, find a way to adjust and adapt to it. And, you know, that doesn't affect your whole surroundings because I didn't realize how my trauma affects people around me. I don't think we know. We nobody really. Yeah. Does. Because yeah. we're trying to protect ourselves and we don't realize how other people around us are being affected by it. Absolutely. And what uh, Roddy was saying about, and this is a key thing that's happening now because of LGBT. My two nieces are in the Air Force mm-hmm. and they were both approached by women in sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And so they have to deal with sexual harassment on different ends now than we yeah. did. Yeah. We always think, no, there's some women in charge out there that are, they, they turn to take over. Yeah. So for them, that's like hard to explain to them how this system really works. Yeah. So one, one of them eventually asks for a transfer, but once you do that, you have a stigma on you too. When you say, I want to transfer out of this section. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I tell young girls now, especially if they approach you, I don't care if it's a female and they're in charge, it's still wrong. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Robin, she um, kind of touched on, uh, well, she touched on a lot <laughs> right there, but yeah, she's right. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did um the PTSD that you experienced, how did that affect your relationship with your family, um, your your children or your, your husband? Were you married and, and had kids at that time? I don't think, especially in the black community, that they get what PTSD is and how mm-hmm. can it affect you. Like it's like your family thinks you're going crazy or you're just backlashing. You know, you're, you're lashing out of your family. So yeah. I got to feel my family a lot. Like they just didn't understand <laughs> what was going on, yeah. and I didn't know how to make them understand. But um, I'm with you know Shannon. Just the simple things because I still don't like hearing. Um, I'm kind of near an airport. I don't like hearing planes sound like they're too close mm-hmm. down. You know, like landing, right? And then just the it's just simple things. I don't like my back to doors in restaurants yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. I need to see who's coming in and what's going on. Yeah, I'm the Walmart parking lot watcher. I'll some sometimes it's been times I'll go to the store. I was supposed to go inside, and I just didn't want to go in anymore because I didn't want to be around people. Yeah, you know, yeah. just things like that. Um, right. Sleep. 
my brother still talks about me to this day because it's like I'll be asleep, but I can just like shoot up and look at you. Uh-huh. Like I don't wake up the normal way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is that that startled? You're startled when you so wake he's up. Okay. Like, <laughs> Yeah. If I just sit up, don't even like, oh, like how some people wake up, I'm alert, you know, like because yeah. I just am used to that. But um, for the most part, it's just it's little things that you still have to endure. You still have to go through, like it's the noises, like I, the just the loud band. I think someone um just at my daughter's party like last week, they popped a balloon. Yeah, and I remember just I jumped so hard, and they were like, "Goodness!" Like I was like, "It just is a trigger." Yeah, you know, because like that's what rocket launchers and stuff sound like. You know, when yeah. you get attacked. So. Just as Shaka right. is also saying, it's the trust that also gets to you too because the Iraqis were working for us and the DFAC, classics, all that. So it was a guy that was cool with everybody. You know, we had got to know him and we knew he was one of the cooks and everything. Right. But later, they found out that he was like being friendly, but slowly sneaking ether in under his belt to wow. blow us up and like had a pound by the time they found it. He was about to, you know, blow us all away. Wow. And we, we're thinking he's our friend, you know, like he's cool. Yeah. But you can't befriend anybody over there. Um, it's kind of just what it is, but you also can't put that discrimination against everybody. So it's yeah. a little hard. Um, but for the most part, I did still meet some good ones, some great, great people over there. It's just, you know, you never knew what was going to happen. So that's comes with a lot of trust even here. Um, just keep, you know, your circles usually small. And you just don't trust too many people. Yeah. But for the most part, like I said, it over time it evens out, but it's still just small things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Teresa and Amory, had your PTSD is a little bit um different from what they experienced. Um, did you find that it it um affected your relationships as well too? Um, I would say that. Generally, no matter what you do, you're going to have PTSD. Like, right. you just don't have it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got into it with my with my family because they, they just didn't have any type of situational awareness, which is wild to me. Because while I was the first Marine, I was not the only person who had served in the military. Yeah. You know, I had my granddad. I had you know, some third, fourth cousin, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not that it was foreign, but they they just look at me and they're like, oh, she look fine. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't know any of the trauma I had went to, went through. Yeah. I mean, they were just like putting this stigma on me. They would always ask me for money, always ask me for stuff, always wanted me to come home. Nobody came to see by me now one time. Mm. Like, I'm like, y'all can't come see about me, see where I'm at, see how I'm doing. No, my grandma was the only one. She's since gone to glory. But, you know, one person out of the whole family, though, Mm. like, you know, maybe one and a half. But like, they just didn't like it just never fully processed for them. Like, oh, she may have endured trauma. And nobody, nobody even asked if I went to. They never asked if I deployed. I went TAD a lot, but nobody ever asked anything they just oh she in the military she making good money she's okay so i did get into it a lot with my family my extended family but also because i was dual military i got into it a lot with my then husband Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he went to combat twice so Mm -hmm. for him and maybe 
I'm gonna say this. Maybe he he didn't think it came off like this. Yeah. But he had this like feeling like he was up here, mm-hmm. and I was not because mm-hmm. I didn't go to combat. Yeah. And I was pretty much got the same awards you do. I'm just yeah. Like, <laughs> I got the yeah. same like I'm in here with the same trauma just because I ain't go over the water. I mean, I right. technically did, but you know, it wasn't a combat tour. Yeah. So. Just We've done that in our relationship too. We we and it's it's not the combat thing, but it's you know it's about well you know I'm you on deployment you you living life you doing good I'm here with the kids I got to do this it's that competition thing of who hasn't right. the work <laughs> so I understand that oh I went on a real deployment right <laughs> so but it it was always the back and forth and like mentally I just shut down because I'm like forget all y'all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even really care about me kind of thing. So, but like that PTSD is still very prevalent because I feel like just the culture yeah. of the military mm-hmm. is conducive to PTSD, which is kind of sad, but it's just what it is. Yeah. One day I hope that they really fix that cuz right. that should not be the prize that we get. Amen. <laughs> and Marie, did uh PTSD affect your relationships in any way? It has. I think that I mentioned it. It 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 has. Um, I you know, um, I'm a people's person, yes, but I was a little bit standoffish. And I think someone, as someone had said, is just a stigma mm-hmm. um, that's placed on you when you say PTSD, especially for people who really don't understand what that is. Mm-hmm. And as it pertains to my family, right. Um, even in what happened to me, I only told my brother that my two brothers because they were both military. Yeah. But every anyone else, I just never, you know, I I I never said anything. They don't know what happened. All I say, oh yeah, I was injured in war. So there, so when you say injured in war, oh, she must have got, you know, she must have got hurt. Um, um, externally but you know but people they they kind of miss it because you know we think that hurt is a broken arm or a broken leg what about that depression or that oppression that anxiety yes that ptsd right so um um i think sometimes even now Mm -hmm. um it, it it affects like even in the marriage because this you know this what this and what this person did to me, um, you know, in some way, it like I said, certain things, when certain things or certain moves or certain smells, it triggers me. I yeah. cannot be in a crowded place. Yeah. Um, it's like since this happened to me, yeah. um, I, I don't like crowds. That was part of my therapy was um, when I was in the hospital, they said, you have to go out into the crowd. Mm-hmm. I had they made you. Yeah. yeah, they made me. We could like on um Saturday and Sunday, Saturday, you could not be in the building. You had to be out of the building by nine o'clock. Yeah. And they locked the door. Yeah. So I had to face it. But I don't I still don't like it because um even to this day, and this has been years because th- what sticks in my head is what this man said. He says, when someone does something to me, I'm going to get him. Now mm. this this first sergeant was street. I mm-hmm. know street when I see it. Yeah. So I, I know street. I'm a city girl. 
I know street. And so you have some of these men and women that hide behind this facade like they're all cool. They're this, that, and the yeah. other. Yeah. But some of them got some hidden stuff up uh -oh. under them. Mm. So he did. So it's like, so for me, even when I go into an airport, it's like even like crowded places and malls, yeah. I always think I'm going to see them. I remember one time I thought I did see them. I was in a grocery store. I had all this stuff in my hands and I thought and I dropped everything and I ran. I was trying to find the restroom mm. and that wasn't even him. Yeah. Wow. That wasn't even him. Wow. So um, I would say to this day, you know, it, it, it kind of like certain things would come back up. But yeah. like I say, I'm a little, I'm a lot better than what I was back, you know, from yeah. that time in. But yeah. 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 Now, uh, Shonda, I know that you were saying that you recently lost two, two uh, dear friends that were veterans um, and they had served with you. Um, and you, you said in your post, and I thought this was very interesting. You said that, you know, essentially you felt like the system had failed them. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and tell us, you know, what, what can be done that other veterans don't fall through the cracks? You know, it's such a, um, a tricky thing dealing with veterans, especially homeless veterans. Mm -hmm. Amber, you know, Lovey had been homeless for 27 years. Staff Sergeant retired 27 years. Mm -hmm. Smartest 92 athlete you ever want to meet. Mm -hmm. but when the services that are, are for that soldier are offered to them, if you realize that the PTSD for her is so strong that she has no concept, she has no way to comprehend that that's help for her and that somebody, everybody's not out to get her. So you live in a car for 20 years, yeah. get the military paycheck direct deposit every day. You taking, taking care of other people, giving other people rides, taking other people. And then uh, what happened in her case, she got sick, she got COVID, she had walking pneumonia, mm. and she, you know, was living in a car. So she walks into the Walmart thinking that I just buy a bottle of NyQuil and I'm going to be okay because she didn't trust doctors. Had been to the doctor in 20 years, yeah. refused to let anybody touch her body because it was it was a spiritual and a natural thing she was dealing with, Amber. You know, that was like, and she had this thing about numbers. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as many veterans there in, in Kansas that tried to get her in, you know, hey, come on. Hey, lovely, come on over here. We got this program. We got this place you can live in. We got a free place for you. So on and so forth. She kept telling them Ben Laden was after her. And mm -hmm. the veterans guys, you know, if the OS people would say, hey, you know, Ben Laden been dead since Obama was in office. And mm -hmm. In her mind, you could not change, you couldn't change that. So yeah. when you have a veteran like that, that the services are out there, benefit, you know, it's a lot of that. They're homeless because they choose to be some of them. But mm -hmm. when you have mental illness mixed with that, that's where the veteran administration is kind of falling slack on. Mm -hmm. You know that they have a mental illness, they need help. It's not the fact that they want to drink or get high and smoke and don't want to come live in your apartment building. Mm -hmm. Some of it is a mental illness that has not been treated. Yeah. And if you don't treat it, it gets worse. And then that mental illness becomes a menace to society. Mm -hmm. And so there, here we are. In a, it's almost like the, the, uh, the immigration with people coming across the border. Where do you stop it at and say no more? Mm. We don't want to be inhumane to our veterans and we don't be inhumane to immigrants. Mm -hmm. But it's it's one of those problems where it's, we didn't nip it in the bud when it started. So now veteran homelessness and mental health is taking over yeah. in a lot of cities. Yeah. And so where we drop the ball at is one of those things. VA and D.C. got to go back and look at it and say, hey, this is what we need to do. 
just like I tell you about Social Security. 255 does not bury somebody anymore. Not at all. You still give it 255 <laughs> for burying because that's Did not it how it works. <laughs> but right. it's just something that's never been back to revamp it and say, where did we go wrong and how did we start losing our veterans yeah. to alcohol, drugs, and homelessness? Robin, what are some of the red flags that we should be looking for, especially in our vets, um, when it comes to suicide prevention? Um, it's a lot. Not a lot of them. Uh, it's not always pretty obvious and in your face. Yeah. But I had one like recently and it's just little things like uh, he wears like one wears like a like a life alert thing, I guess it's for emergencies. But yeah, you start requesting it more often. And then it's like uh, his hygiene got really bad. He stopped taking care of himself. Yeah. And we started realizing we're like, you know, are you OK? And he just kept, you know, he was saying he was OK. But it's just like little things we started noticing like that when, you know, we're like, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. God. like one time he filled the room. You could tell he hadn't taken a shower in days. And I was like, sir, like something's going on. So emails, you know, just sporadic behavior where he didn't even remember much of what he was doing. You get signs like that. We usually go ahead and jump on. Sometimes even have to call um, Karistar Health, you know, know that they're at that point. And um, what we do mostly when we ask them about suicide, we just straight out say, hey, thinking of killing yourself, you've been, you know, that sometimes we say, um, have you ever, have you been going to sleep and you're okay with maybe not waking up? You know, that's more of a way to put it versus making them feel like you're saying suicide, suicide, suicide. We mostly try to get the fact that they may have suicidal ideations. Like I said, suicide is not straightforward, like pills you take or a gun, you know, is you being reckless too? Drinking, binge drinking a lot, you know, mm. over drinking, over drugs, you know, things like that. So um, we look into those factors because, like I said, it's counseling on substance abuse. So we have substance abuse in place. But for the veterans, it's all about suicide prevention. So what we do to combat their homelessness, um, we do food drives. We take we take them groceries, you know, to make sure that they're yeah. good. So it's sometimes a simple thing. They just can't get this making them depressed, you know, like weren't even established in the VA. Mm-hmm. And we had to do that. So. Um, it just depends um, who the veteran is and how much they've endured. Because the biggest thing that we always ask about is loss. Like, did you just recently lose a family member, or do you have anyone near you that committed suicide as well? Um, that's a thing. So, if we get yeses to all of those, that's when we definitely take them in, start a case with them, and make sure that we check in on them and we're helping them the best way that we can. So, um, I, even when I talk about my situation, I was putting on a whole mask, like a happy face. I, no one knew that I was going to commit suicide. I was just, you know, but um, they say people give you stuff or say, hey, I don't need this anymore. This is my necklace. I'm going to give you, you know, I didn't do any of that. I was yeah. just like acting like I was going where everything was. But, you know, if I would have did it, nobody would even thought they would have been like, I would have never. And that's hindsight 20 where you like later think of you're like, dang, they were acting like this or they were. Yeah. It's not and see it. Yeah. So that's what we try to tackle with people. Like, don't see it later. You know, if you see it at that moment, ask the question. Right. And um, that's what we also do is training to help people ask the question. Because a lot of people are nervous to ask somebody else, oh, are you thinking of killing yourself? Yeah. So um, it just depends. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys, I know um, it's getting late. We're actually almost finished here. I just have two more questions. Um, and I'd like for everybody to to answer this, you know, in, in short, maybe give me one thing. Um, I want to know, how do we heal from the pain of military trauma? I want to start with you first, Teresa. So I would say how you heal is first recognizing that what happened to you was traumatic. 
I think it's first recognizing that and then act, I won't say accepting it, but like embracing it that this actually happened. And once you do that, then you can more so deal with it and begin that process of healing. Because if you're in denial, it's going to be hard to even look towards healing. And also too, like, I know everybody's saying therapy, but everybody may not quite be there. So you can also go to like a peer support group or you can get a life coach, but the life coach needs to be certified and have that experience to deal with crisis and trauma, not just any life coach. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody may not want to go to a, a licensed therapist or, you know, pastoral counseling. So there's a lot of things you can look into as far as resources, but it first start with recognizing that this did happen and it was very traumatic. So I think, you know, being open and acknowledging that something actually happened so you can get on that process of healing. So um, just real quick, what would each one of you say uh, to the woman that is struggling right now, you know, with the effects of, you know, her PTSD and the things that she's experienced? What would you say to to her? And also, what would you say to her family and friends that love her and want to support her? I would say to the family, you know, educate yourself and learn what it is. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? They need to learn um, what it is. And for that woman, um, I had I had many conversations with women who just refused to get help. Something on the lines of what um, Shonda was saying about lovey. Um, some of them just don't want the help. But I, you know, so what I do, I mean. It's like I share my story, hoping that they could just grasp it and just say, you know, look, I mean, in this instance, you have to trust somebody. Mm -hmm. And it's just like what um, Teresa has said, you know, make sure that whoever you go to is certified. Maybe, you know, it's your, you know, maybe it's your, um, you can go for pastoral counseling mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, but you can start there. But you, I will always reiterate by you keeping it deep down on the inside, it's not going to solve the problem. You're going to still go through these different things and phases and all of that. But go and get help. It's okay. Mm. It's okay. Sometimes, like I've mentioned earlier, sometimes we have to become vulnerable in order to get that help. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, yes, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Um, I was definitely with Anne Marie on that education. Because mm -hmm. I don't feel nobody truly knows what it entails. Like they're just thinking that you're crazy. So I would tell her and her film she's not crazy or damaged, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. just, you know, it's a healing process and you know, it takes patience throughout that healing process. It's not just a whole, you know, back uh, 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 lashing out or withdrawing back because you have different ways that you deal with it. Sometimes you're um over exuberant and stuff and sometimes you're just like a recluse like you don't want to deal with anybody mm -hmm. so it just depends on which part you are but um i would definitely say that that education is important because especially in the black community mental health is a taboo mm -hmm. so it's just like they're mm -hmm. thinking therapy therapy we don't need therapy you don't need therapy yeah you know straighten up you know, stuff like that my family told me that all the time yeah. and i was just like it's not that simple so i would 
at that and just say, you know, take take your time with people, take your time with yourself. Don't beat yourself up even when you do backtrack. You know, make sure that you just keep going and that it's a it's a journey. So yeah, I want everybody to understand that all it's it's not you don't beat yourself up. Absolutely. Thank you. Shonda, any final words for um that person that's struggling? Um, I think the key thing is don't wait until it's too late. Hmm. And sometimes it took me like eight years to realize the trauma that I had and didn't, didn't act upon it. And so when you wait till it's too late, the rest of your family thinking that you're OK. And then you actually realize, oh, I really do. They're kind of like in, you know, like what, what happened? So yeah. the key thing is we can't wait until it's too late to get help. And then the family can't give up on us and let them try to understand what was going, what's really going on. I waited because I thought I was OK. And then after a while, the family begin to support you better. But if yeah. we wait too late, then it really affects everybody in a different way. Got it. Got it. And Teresa, uh, take us on out. <laughs> what would you say to the person that's struggling? I would say to the person that's struggling that it's okay. It's okay to be exactly where you are. Yeah. Don't rush yourself. Be patient with yourself and allow yourself to feel everything you're feeling. Because we're taught so much to suppress our emotions and to just basically annihilate them. But that doesn't help in any other relationship. So when you do that in one area, it just it consumes you and you're like that everywhere. So while you want to shut yourself off to this one person because of whatever's going on, you really shut yourself off to everyone. Mm. So I would say just it's okay. It's okay to be where you are. Just know where you are and strive. You know, slowly by slowly. I li- I don't like to say day by day because that's too long for some people. Yeah. Moment by moment, moment by moment. Just give yourself grace from moment to moment. And it's going to be well. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in two weeks. But your process is your process. Don't compare yourself. It's going to be okay. That was good. That was good. Well, ladies, all I can say is, wow, this this was amazing. This was such a good conversation. It was much needed. And I just wanted to thank you all again. Thank you for your service, Uh, not just your military service, but the service that you guys performed here tonight. Um, somebody needed to hear your story. They needed to hear your trend. They needed to see your transparency and somebody needed to see somebody else that made it out of the thing that they're in right now. So I thank you all for being here tonight. Well, you guys, that is all we have for today. Be sure to join us next week for another amazing conversation. And don't forget to stop by the after party on our community page where we will connect and we'll talk about the episode. You can also find this link on the show notes. All right, that's it for now, guys. But I will see you guys next week. Until then, I want you to be encouraged, be empowered and be blessed. Peace, y'all.